Welcome back to the Fitness Devil Podcast, guys. Episode number 92. So we skipped, we missed an episode last week, so we apologize for that. Life got crazy busy. Otherwise, we've had an unbroken streak, but we're back on. So we've got Greg Knuckles today. We brought Greg on to talk about a bunch of, well, in theory, a bunch of fun shit, but then we got off track. We got into neck training for women, preventing concussions. Uh, we had a really detailed discussion about grizzly bear versus gorilla and what would actually happen with that. And we imagine Chad Wesley Smith versus Dr. Mike Gizertel in that com- in that theoretical combat. So you'll have to listen for that. But we also talked about the similarities and differences between men and women in training. We got into uh, Greg's Stronger by Science podcast and how uh, he solidified his following to have a really great start to that. And we talk about our Evolved Canadian Strength Symposium here September 14th and 15th in Edmonton where Greg is one of our headline presenters. It's a great episode, probably one of the most fun we've ever recorded. Check it out. I hope you love it. Shut up and sit down. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we actually missed a week. This is kind of the first time in our history. Uh, Dean was traveling. We just had so much crazy stuff on that. We actually just couldn't put a, an episode together and get ahead. So uh, this time we've got Greg Knuckles returning with us. And he's uh, taking a momentary break from his master's studies. Um, his continued work at Stronger by Science and speaking engagements, including, and one of the reasons why we brought him back right now, is he's going to appear as a speaker here in Edmonton in September uh, at an event that uh, Dean and I and Dean Somerset, uh, Evolve Strength, where I contract out of, and our friend Hannah Gray are all partnering in. So we want to get Greg back to chat with him. So welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. We had all these jokes prepared to call you a doctor, and then we, we forgot it was a master's. So on the long list of doctors we have on our podcast, you, you don't make that list yet. Possibly one day? You know, I, I feel like you just put that in your in your like anticipated questions as a sneak diss. I think you I think you knew I didn't have a PhD and you you wanted me to humble myself to to point that out to you. Well I think feel I, like you know, I, I, I see I see the game you're playing and I'm starting this podcast very with with hackles raised as defensive as you can get. This is going to be a very adversarial hour of conversation, and I hope you're prepared. Is it? How is it at the office with with Trexler? Does he poke a lot of jokes, like how you're under him and stuff in terms of education? I feel no, like science mo- guys mo- would use that like really wholeheartedly. No, mo- most of the jokes we have, uh, he he jokes that I'm like. Uh, like a slave master type <laughs> boss, which, which literally couldn't be further from the truth. Like my, my managerial style is just kind of to say like, eh, here's some stuff we need to get done. Do it. However you see fit in as much time as you need to accomplish it. And do, do you think that would change if you were a doctor, like having that, having that title, do you think that you would change as a person? Like, I know a lot of people get famous and, you know, they change and their friends say they change. Like, do you think that'd be you? No, I mean, if, <laughs> if, if, you, if, if you can feasibly ask people to call you either master or doctor, you can't tell me that master is not going to go to your head more. I, like, I agree. 
You're right. Doc, doctor's <clears throat> way worse than master. Because if someone, if you force someone to be like, no, you refer to me as master, it would be way better. Master Greg Douglas. Yes. Master Greg. Yeah, that, that's that's like some Fifty Shades of Grey shit. <laughs> <laughs> like every one of your employees has like a, a contract. Because I can already picture you with your hackles up today. Probably got into the closet and got, uh, what is it, a creative anachronism, like a set of probably real chain mail. I wouldn't be shocked if you had like some sort of like sword and chain mail and helmet. You call me master. You call me master. Like what? I came here to like write articles and like help you out. No. In your chain mail and sword. <laughs> Well, we painted this whole picture. We <laughs> we painted this whole picture out of nothing. I didn't even think about this. This has been awesome. I can see Greg wearing chainmail. It kind of scary, actually. I want to see a video of you, like actually. So I was told I can't remember who the hell said this. Um, something about yeah, I was Dean Somerset at uh, a recent thing that him and Tony Gentleford did here in town. They were talking about pause squats and something about you squatting five hundred pounds, pause and reciting Robert Frost poetry. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. So I um, I like doing uh, breathing pause squats where like you squat down, you exhale and get like full deep breaths in the hole and come back up. Um, I I found that one that helped me improve depth and two that helped me with bracing a lot. Uh, I think I I was super reliant on intraabdominal pressure just to kind of hold my torso together in the squat. Uh, and so by doing breathing pause squats, then, you know, when you exhale, you're taking away a lot of that intra-abdominal pressure and it actually forces like the intrinsic spinal muscles to stabilize the spine the way it's supposed to. Um, so I, I found that very, very beneficial. Um, and I didn't have like, I don't know, like a, a stopwatch type deal where I could have that um, in front of the squat rack to keep an eye on. Uh, I mean, I could use a phone, but I have pretty bad vision, uh, even even with contacts. Uh, so, like, I wouldn't have been able to see the screen. Um, and so when I'm trying to go kind of heavy on breathing pause squats, uh, I, I don't really trust myself to count, like, you know, 20 or 30 seconds in my head. Because, um, you know, like the heavier the weight is, the faster you count pretty much. Yeah. And it, it's, it's hard to be uh, consistent on that. So what I do um, to make sure it's a consistent time down there is I recite The Road Less Traveled by Robert Frost. Because <laughs> it's about as long as I would want it to be. And, uh, you know, I, I don't. I'm not spitting poetry like fucking Eminem and rap God. So, and I'm, and I'm not like practicing talking faster. So it winds up being a, a pretty consistent amount of time to, to be down in the hole. So, so that's, your, out. that's your advice. Cause I would agree that I think most people, myself included, if you post a pause squad, you're like, Oh yeah, three seconds in the hole. And it was like one <laughs> or half a second. Like, yeah. And to give people yeah. context, cause I'm a pretty good squatter. But not on Greg's level because Greg is a is a legendary powerlifter. He's basically taking my max squat ever and sitting down there for thirty seconds reciting poetry. <laughs> so uh, that just kind of gives you an idea of how strong he is. Yeah, let's let's actually well, go with some of our questions. So, Greg, 
<laughs> it's like, oh, we, we brought you on to talk about things. <laughs> yeah, <okay>. that, <laughs> Not just make fun of you. That though. was actually way more interesting. I don't think that was making fun. I think it was actually making them look really good. So uh, I like this one. You recently wrote a post about, uh, as a younger man who no one knew in our industry, uh, you'd reach out to industry pros. Sometimes they wouldn't respond at all. And other times they direct you to, oh, the answer is in this ebook or this, this thing that you can pay for. So you resolve to answer everything um, that anyone ever asked you as you gained uh, notoriety, but then only to realize how fucked up and daunting that task actually has become due to your own limited time. So how do you suggest that busy professionals navigate this sort of stuff? And what do you want your followers to understand about your time and ability to respond? Uh, I mean, I, I still respond to, to almost everything. Um, <laughs> I just, uh, so I, I approach most things, uh, from a fairly utilitarian perspective and I, and it, it's, it's kind of like a subjective assessment, right? Of. Uh, what's going to be more valuable to me and the person I'm responding to? Like, is is the answer to this question that I'm responding to for this person, is that going to provide them more value than it will cost me in time to answer that question? Um, and assuming it's not going to take, like, a long time to answer the question, I think pretty much always like they will derive more utility from you answering the question than you will like lose from spending the time to answer it. Um, and so I think that it's almost always a good thing, uh, like ethically speaking in, and not that this is like a huge, like moral dilemma, just like in terms of, of like a basic utility function, if you, approach ethics from a utilitarian perspective, which I do anyway. So I, I think that in general, I have some sort of like obligation to answer most of these questions. Um, so I do. Uh, and it's just that like a lot of them, like, so most of them, like I can answer in 30 seconds, maybe a minute tops, everything's fine. It, but there are quite a few questions that I'll get like on a day-to-day -day basis where it's like, okay, like it's, it's probably going to take me, you know, six, 700 words to type out oh, like man. an adequate response to this. And so as a result, um, like a pretty significant portion of my workday every day is just, you know, going through Facebook messages and, uh, messages on, uh, Reddit or Instagram or whatever and answering questions, a lot of emails as well. Um, and so the, the just like quick little answers to questions like that doesn't bother me at all, but the ones that do take like more thought and time to type out a response to, uh, I think that a lot of those take more time because they're good questions. And I think they're questions that a lot of other people would, fit from knowing the answer to. So what I decided I'm going to do is like the basic questions I'm going to keep answering, which is like 80% of the stuff that people ask me, but then the more in-depth ones, um, I'm just going to keep them on a list and every other week, uh, 
me and Trex are going to put out a podcast episode that's just like purely a Q&A episode yeah. um, where we, you know, answer those questions. And our, our first one just dropped uh, today, actually. I don't know when this episode is going to be coming up, but it dropped uh, Thursday, June 6th. And I think we took an hour to answer like five questions. Um, <laughs> and, and that that otherwise would have been you know, probably 45 minutes of typing to answer that same number of questions. But now, like, we can get those answers out to a lot of people. So uh, I feel ethically okay with it. Like, the people still get the answer to their question, if if maybe not immediately, because it's going to take us a while to get to all of them on the podcast. Uh, but then also, like, other people can, can benefit from those answers. But I think this is fantastic. And actually, you said what I thought. It's like, are you going to take those longer form things and turn around and create like Facebook posts or content out of it? Uh, and to answer something else too. So yeah, so this episode, people will be listening to this uh, Thursday, June 6th, if they grab it on day one. So uh, for anyone listening, one of the reasons we brought Greg on is to let you guys know that <clears throat> him and Eric Trexler do have their own podcast, Through Stronger by Science now. And it's a, it's a really great piece of like information, to say the least. So go check it out. If you're someone who likes Greg and follows Greg especially and you haven't checked that out yet, like, just go do it. Go download that episode next after this one because if you're a podcast listener, chances are you will. Well, it's so just go gonna, support it. It's kind of interesting too because, again, the more you put it out there in a form where more people are reading it, you probably won't get the same questions. But it's kind of unique in the sense that having a podcast, you can – answer questions a bit different than you would in text. And they would come off like the answers probably more meaningful, if that makes sense. Because with text, sometimes it's hard to like read into kind of what you're saying or the context. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's a good point. And I mean, also with the podcast where me and Eric are recording that in conversation. And so um, a, a fair amount of the questions like, he has more insight than I do, because uh, especially if it's something like nutrition or body comp related. Yeah. Uh, I, I know more information about those topics than... Uh, Just like, so everyone knows. Prob- <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean, like, I, I don't consider that in my area of expertise, but like, do, do I know more about those topics than like most people in the industry? Like, yeah. Probably, but I don't have like an expert level of knowledge on those topics, and Eric does. So, um, yeah. So I, I think that I think that people end up getting a, a better answer than they would if it was just me as well. I, I love it. I think it's great. Now, speaking of <laughs> expert knowledge, oh, are we, are we we're doing we're even doing all the questions? Hell yeah! Well, okay, I, I well, just I, segued I, it to you. Oh, so he, you just. He dropped the pass is what he, we dropped and he's pass. a football guy. He dropped the pass. To, to be completely blunt, and you'll probably come up with this, your own little method is we, we print out stuff and my printer only had enough paper for, well, the ink only had enough for one. So we're sharing <laughs> one. So our system got fucked up because like anyone who's really well prepared, you print out scripts five minutes before you do he's it. He's been asking me to bring him paper yeah. and that's so, how. So hopefully you learn from this. You're going to be a much better podcast, I think. You got two scientists. You'll have it down. Um, we're just two meatheads. So um, you provide a lot of information about the similarities and differences between men and women in training, and that's kind of where we want to go with this. Is kind of what are the, I guess, important differences between the sexes that 
affect training and programming and, and where do you see or where do you see the need for women to approach it differently or at all? Yeah, so um, probably the biggest difference just right off the bat is that men tend to be bigger and have quite a bit more muscle when they start training. And so as a result, um, if you look at the research looking at like relative strength gains and gains in muscle in men and women in response to training, um, actually pretty similar. Uh, so it on kind of like a percentage basis. So, but as a result, since men are bigger and stronger, just naturally pre-training, uh, absolute gains in muscle and strength in men are are considerably larger. Um, so kind of like the the magnitude of results is going to be different. Um, but in terms of, of, like physiological differences that, that may impact how you have to program for people. One is that, um, women have, uh, on average have a higher proportion of type one muscle fibers and due to higher levels of estrogen, they bear glycogen a little bit better, um, tend to be able to maintain aerobic metabolism at slightly higher, um, relative exercise intensity so like they're the the point that they break over into to anaerobic primarily metabolism is a little bit later um and so and in several several other things as well but as a result uh women tend to be a little bit less fatigable uh than men are and so one of the things you'll see is that with uh, especially with like lighter weights, um, women tend to be able to do more like sets to failure or reps to failure with like a given percentage of the one rep max, uh, probably recover a little bit quicker between sets. So if, you know, if a dude does like a hard set of five squats and needs to rest like two or three minutes to be able to recover for the next set, that may only be like a minute and a half or two minutes for a woman. Um, possibly capable of training with higher training volumes, um, both in terms of like what they can actually manage within a session. And then there's also some research uh, suggesting that maybe women recover a little bit faster than men or uh, can do higher volume in a session while still recovering in the same amount of time. Um, There's, there's some conflicting research on that though, but uh, uh, in terms of programming training, women may be able to train with, with higher volumes than men, both in terms of what they can handle in a session and what they can recover from. Um, one other like consideration you need to make though, is that there's, um, there's a fair amount of evidence that, uh, the menstrual cycle affects some stuff. Um, in terms of how it actually affects performance, uh, the research is kind of all over the place on that. Um, so like some studies show that there's a, a small peak in force output around the time of ovulation, for example, but then other research shows that that's not there. And a lot of that is just looking at like single joint isometric strength. So I'm, I'm not going to put too much, uh, too, too many eggs in that basket, yeah. but in terms of, outcomes of training there there are like three or four studies 
looking at like concentrating training during the follicular phase, which is like uh, from from the onset of menses until ovulation versus concentrating training during uh, the luteal phase of training, which is from ovulation until the onset of menses. Um, and that research finds that women just respond to training better. Like they build more muscle and gain more strength with training concentrated during the follicular phase uh, rather than the luteal phase. And so potentially, uh, and, and I, I don't know that you'd even have to worry about this for someone on hormonal contraceptives, but for women uh, not on hormonal contraceptives, um, it's probably not a terrible idea to like if you have like uh, if you run like monthly mesocycles, for example, um, it may not be a terrible idea to put like the highest volume, most stressful training that that is likely to cause the largest adaptations during the follicular phase. So like from the onset of menses until ovulation. Uh, and then if, you know, if, if you run something like five, three, one, where you train for three weeks and then deload on the fourth, probably not a terrible idea for that deload on the fourth week to be one of the two weeks during the luteal phase. Um, just because they're probably not having as large of an adaptive response to training during the luteal phase in the first place. Um, and then uh, this isn't really going to, well, actually, no, this probably should affect how you program a little bit. Um, it's probably also not a terrible idea to do more direct hamstring work with your female clients. Um, I mean, direct hamstring work is good for everyone, but, uh, so women have higher rates of, of ACL injuries. Oh, and, and this, this is probably only relevant if you train like female athletes, like basketball players, soccer players, et cetera. Uh, most, most people aren't going to just like tear their ACL in day-to-day life. But if you train female athletes, um, men tend to have a, a like greater hamstring strength relative to quad strength, uh, like pre-training. Um, like women have, have a greater imbalance in, in terms of like quad to hamstring strength ratio on average. Um, and also may have a little worse, uh, neuromuscular control of their hamstrings, which is like necessary to pull back on their tibia to, to balance the anterior shear that can be created or like the anterior forces on the knee that can stress the ACL. Um, and so women are, are probably going to benefit a little bit more from direct hamstring training uh, and also just like neuromuscular training to improve like landing mechanics and cutting mechanics uh, just in an effort to prevent non-contact ACL injuries. Um, so like for the most part, if a dude tears his ACL, like it's just purely a freak accident and fairly rare, but uh, m- most I feel comfortable saying most female athletes would probably benefit from a combination of direct hamstring training and like neuromuscular training on landing mechanics and cutting mechanics to, to help prevent non-contact ACL injuries. Uh, another thing, which I don't really foresee many coaches actually doing with their female athletes, but that they probably should do with their female athletes is direct neck training. Um, Reason for that is there's some research suggesting that neck training can decrease concussion risk. And when people think concussion, 
they often think like football, like American football, like the NFL and the huge concussion issue uh, with football, which like, yeah, that's that's definitely a thing. And that's uh, primarily a men's sport. But when you compare sports that both men and women compete in, so like basketball or soccer, um, women have way, way higher concussion rates than men do. Um, basically, because one of, well, I don't want to state this too strongly. One of the leading hypotheses is that women have weaker necks than men do. And so, like, if two dudes, like, run into each other at high speed on the soccer pitch, like, their heads may whip back a little bit, but not whip back hard enough to jiggle their brain around and give them a concussion. Yeah. Uh, and if women do, like, their necks are just weaker on average. And so, like, they're more likely for their head to, to whip hard enough to sustain a concussion from it. Um, so, like... Most women, aesthetically, the look they're not going for is like thick neck, like <laughs> neck, big traps. <laughs> yeah, it, like so. So I understand that you're probably going to have a hard time getting buy-in from your female athletes on that. But in terms of concussion prevention, probably not a bad idea to have uh, female athletes do neck training. Just, not a terrible idea for most people to do neck training. One, just because a thick neck looks sick. Two, because like. <laughs> You can never you can never care too much about concussion prevention for athletes. But like if, if you were going to do direct neck training for one sex or the other, like if if for whatever reason you had to make that choice, you'd probably get more relative benefit from doing it with female athletes. You'd have to trick them. Athletes. You'd have to trick them. You'd have to do like hip thrusts with like weights on their head and then get them to move their <laughs> neck. Just like just like don't tell them what it is. Like oh, it'll get more. Yeah. Legs, and except except <laughs> don't do that because that would be unethical. Because when a woman shows up with this blocky neck that she's really upset about, you're gonna have a bad time. Yeah, so. but she won't have a concussion. Get by in. Hey, Greg said it ethically. I'm good with it. In, in my head, get your female athletes to buy into the whole. Greg idea. just plus, lost a whole bunch of plus, like people. They're like, that's why there's neck training in my plus, program. I mean realistically how much hypertrophy are you going to see in the neck muscles of a woman to the point where she looks like quote bulky there i that's going to be difficult to probably achieve. i think that should be greg's next platform i think yeah greg i don't know man <laughs> only one way to find out <laughs> like uh <laughs> no i mean i Agreed, so though. Don't i don't know. i don't see a reason why you shouldn't expect robust neck muscle hypertrophy in women as well yeah um I mean, I, I don't see why it would be different from any other muscle, so I would expect it to respond relatively the same way that, that men's do. Um, so, like, maybe you would never get big enough to just look, like, super thick, like Brock Lesnar style, but, you know, in terms of, like, relative to their starting point, I, I would expect that relative neck muscle hypertrophy would, would be pretty similar. Okay. That, that's it, it would be like you know like the women don't want to get bulky myth um, that always flies around that would like expedite that completely they'd be like what if I get bulky and then you're coming in here like oh you should expect to get a bigger neck <laughs> they'd be like fuck it's true all your female athletes are doing eight sets of shrugs per workout <laughs> I it's, oh, probably, no, it's not, you're probably right like, though not, not not like trap training like I mean, actual direct neck training I yeah but in my in my head. All the women are doing, they're trying to look like Brock Lesnar. Like, could you imagine that? Like, you could save the world from a lot of concussions. Because I, I do agree. I think that they're, like, I think that the rates are higher. So, 
I don't think this oh, is going to be a giant problem. But you, yeah. you, don't, you don't have to think they're higher. Yeah, like they they're are. absolutely <laughs> higher. <laughs> I wonder what it's like in hockey too. Like, science, I wonder if science is true whether you believe it or not. Deeds. Well, I wonder what it's like in hockey too, though, because they have like the pads and the helmet. Like that'd be interesting. Anyways. Neck training. I like it. That's, now, that, I did not expect that part of it. That's what cool. makes this, total this sense. This is why we bring Greg on. I don't know if you've ever talked about neck training for women before ever on a podcast. So um, That's going to be my new question. It's going to be in his inbox. Let's for go to... Yeah, keep sending him stupid messages in his inbox. Keep him busy. Uh, so it flips this now. Uh, what are some of the brand and marketing claims about the differences in men's and women's training that sound kind of cool, uh, don't really make a fucking difference, and where you can safely treat... Everyone with the same principles. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's more or less true. So I think that, um, I think that in terms of what you'd actually be applying to a program, uh, and, and the things you would need to look out for, I think the, the differences, uh, within each sex are probably bigger than the differences between sexes. So even if there are like on average some differences between men and women, I, I don't think you can kind of proactively take that and say like, oh, OK, so we're going to program training way differently for men and women. Um, there's the the differences within sex are, are large enough such that you should probably just approach everyone as individuals in the first place. Like probably the clearest difference is the the difference in kind of like strength, endurance and fatigability. But I mean, there are absolutely dudes who are less fatigable than like the average female client. And so, you know, you're, you're not going to, and there are absolutely women who are more fatigable than the average male client. So like you, you just kind of need to take it on a person by person basis. Um, and, and, and yeah, I would say on average, the way you would approach men and women is, is pretty similar and then when you, you know, approach people as individuals, like on, on average, there will probably be some differences in how you train your men and women. Um, but I don't, I don't think that those differences are, are probably going to be large enough or consistent enough that you should just make the assumption that like, oh, I have a woman, I'm going to train her this way. Or, oh, I have a man, I'm going to train him this way. With those two ways being substantially different. So you don't subscribe to Tracy Anderson's methods about creating long, lean looking muscles and uh, not touching heavy weight. Uh, surprisingly, no. <laughs> what if, you know, maybe this is more applicable because like, you're kind of known for this. How like trainer comes in, he asks you a question on Q and a, but like, how do you find whether or not your female athletes like essentially have that work capacity? Like, how are you building that into it? on an individual basis to kind of see where I can push them in regards to like that specific type of training. So one of the things I do is, um, how, how I like to kind of determine volume for an individual and, and also training loads is I'll prescribe like you know, you're going to be training today at 75% of your max. You're going to be doing sets of five and like have at it and just kind of, so, so let me preface this by saying this probably wouldn't work uh, particularly well in terms of being just like a typical personal trainer and you have like an hour with a client. Yeah. So you need to know exactly how long everything's going to take. 
Uh, I mostly train powerlifters, and they're, they tend to be fairly open-ended with how long they're willing to train because, like, they, they take it pretty seriously. Um, but so what I'll say is, like, okay, today we're, we're going 75%. We're going to do sets of five. And just do sets of five until you reach an RPE of, if it's supposed to be an easier day, maybe an RPE of eight. If it's supposed to be a harder day, maybe RPE of nine. And so the, the net effect of that is if someone has better strength endurance, like they just end up doing more sets until they reach that target RPE. Um, and so in that way, like the, the people I train who have better strength endurance, whether they're men or women, just wind up doing more sets than the people who have uh, like worse strength endurance and, and recover more poorly between sets. Um, and I can also use that to progress training loads. So I could say like, okay, for, for individual A, uh, they aren't very fatigable. They have pretty good strength endurance. Um, so if they, if they like take this certain weight, uh, or like if they take this percentage for like this number of reps and do more than eight sets with it, they're probably stronger than I thought they were. It's time to bump this training max up. Um, for someone who maybe has a little bit worse strength endurance, maybe instead of like eight sets, it's more like five sets. And it's like, okay, when they're, when they're clearing five sets, uh, then they're probably a little stronger. I can bump their training max up. Um, then if, if it's someone who is more like getting close to a competition and not more off season, so I care more about intensity than volume, I can put those set cutoffs like a little bit lower. And so then the net effect of what will happen is the training max will get bumped up a little quicker for yeah. the person with better strength endurance. So they wind up doing training that looks fairly similar, like they're doing the same number of reps for the same number of sets. But that allows me to progress them to like training with, with higher percentages of their actual max for the same general style of training. Um, and so, yeah, if, if, I leave, if I leave things kind of open-ended, what I see on average is my female lifters um, doing like more, more sets with a given percentage of their one rep max for the same number of reps. Um, or if I keep the number of sets like constrained and, and bump up training maxes to accommodate for that, uh, the women end up doing like the same number of, of reps per set for the same number of sets with like a slightly higher percentage of their actual max. Um, but like I said, there, there's a fair amount of variability within sexes for that as well. Um, and so I just like put a system in place that I don't have to make assumptions about my lifters, like their performance guides, like what their training ends up looking like. Um, you, you'd be a good ask. Have you ever dabbled with any of the velocity stuff, like speed cutoffs for RPE, I guess, as like a, a proxy, <laughs> more objective proxy, I guess? Uh, so I've dabbled with it. Um, I don't do that with my lifters, mainly because, so... Well, cost, one for, thing. Yeah, for, for velocity stuff to work, you need... 
you need to make sure you're getting good data. Yeah. And so one of the things is you you need to know that the person is lifting every rep as fast as possible. Yeah. Uh, if they're if they're not, if they're kind of being lackadaisical, like that'll show. Oh, velocity's lower. You're getting more fatigued. Like this is a higher percentage of your max. And like, yeah. It's not like they they could just move it faster, but they aren't. Yeah. Um. And so. <laughs> Uh, I would have to have like a pretty high level of trust with a lifter, um, especially for like online training for me to trust that when I say lift everything as fast as possible, they are actually doing that. Um, and then also, yeah, like money, money is a big thing. Um, because like the, there, there's been research looking at like the reliability and accuracy of a lot of the devices on the market. And the, the ones that are just kind of like, um, like magnetic things that you can just stick to the weights or like just a little band with like a Bluetooth connection that you can put on the bar. Um, those tend to not work that well. Like they're they're all right. Like they're better than a random number generator, but like they, (laughs) they do have some, some accuracy and reliability issues. The ones where it's actually like, uh, like a string attached to like yeah, a, a pulley and, and you put it on the bar. So something like a Tendo unit or a gym aware, yeah. um, those, those are the ones that are really quite accurate. And, but like Tendos and gym wares are really, really expensive. Well, in They're Canada, several like, thousand dollars. In Canada, it's like four um, grand to get a gym aware. And like, it's the yeah. only one that's reliable at slow speeds. So it's kind of, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, God, there's another thing on the market, and I always blank on the name of it. Uh, it might be called like Rep One or something. Yeah, it's the barrel one that Chris Duffin, the first iteration, I think he bought all of them or something. But I think it's called Bar oh, One now. That's the, that's where they went to. Okay. So, so that's the story. Okay. I, I I can't even remember if Chris confirmed it, but I guess he bought out all of them for his online training platform because he was velocity based and it was the only one that worked. But they're a small company, so he literally bought all of them. That's why they don't have them I on see. their thing. <laughs> yeah, so that that yeah. explains why they were out of stock forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, I, I want to say Rep One is is what like a couple hundred bucks. Like it, yeah. it's it's pretty affordable. Um, so like if they ever like actually go back on the market, uh, I may start recommending that to more people. But but yeah, for the most part, like I'm not going to ask people to drop. Three thousand bucks for a piece of equipment, um, and I'm I don't I don't really trust the other the John, other type of product on the market that, that here, much. Here, female powerlifter, you're doing you're using the gym wear and you're doing dedicated neck training. <laughs> that's, that's basically your platform now, and I'm I'm sticking to it. That's gonna be a very niche clientele. <laughs> Greg, Greg's totally going off the powerlifting scene, and like he's like rebranding. You're the neck guy. <laughs> well, I mean, Brett Contreras is the glute guy. Yeah. Like, why hasn't anybody become Greg the is the trap? Greg, Greg is the trap guy. That could be. It could be a thing. You just need bigger traps, I think. Oh, and I, I could say that all of the women I train are trap queens. And <laughs> when people when people yes. land when people land on my website, it's like a MySpace page from like two thousand and five, and like uh, Fetty Fetty Wap starts playing and. Man, yeah, there, it, this, it could be a good side. This is a whole brand idea. It could be a good side like gig, this. and it's backed by science. Like it's it's basically the glute guy, <laughs> but the trap guy. 
Um, you'll oh, probably, yeah. it'll probably go the wrong way. Like kind of like Instagram where like everyone has huge asses now. Everyone's going to have massive necks. And then like the dichotomy between that, you you could literally change the world. Like females may have massive necks from here on out. I like it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I think that that would also double as like self-defense training because <laughs> if, if you, if you're going through the world and you happen upon someone who has like just a really, really fucking thick neck. Yeah, you're you don't want to. You don't no. want to pick a fight with that no. person. I agree. Like, e- even if that person's never fought in their life and they're like the nicest person, like you just see that person and you're like, I don't want to fight this guy, or, or I suppose it could be, I don't want to fight this gal. Because you just see that neck, and you're like, it's, "So there's Whoa. you probably saw if this. this starts going down. I can cock him in the head, and it's not <laughs> going to do shit. Like their their head's going nowhere. It's going to break my fist. You, like I just don't want to mess with this person. So I think that having a thick neck functions as self defense training. So this this came up like recently. In did you you probably saw it, this fucking like grizzly bear versus the gorilla talk, and I think it got re brought up recently. I saw it. Yeah, and and Brad Dieter commented on like. He said something stupid like, uh, gorillas know they're going to choke them out. He's going to choke the bear out. And someone was like, you know the fucking neck on the bear? Like, that's not going to happen. And, but, like, it makes yeah, sense. Like that, that that shouldn't even be a discussion. Like, especially especially if it's, like, a grizzly bear. Yeah, like, it was dude, a grizzly bear. The, bear. the bear wins hands down. That's not even that, – that wouldn't even be a fight. But there was a whole – like, I can't remember who wrote the article. The bear's, like – the bear's like four times bigger than the gorilla. And like, and so people are like, oh, but like the gorilla has opposable thumbs. Like it would be able to like out wrestle the bear. It's like, if you've ever seen bear cubs play, like all they do is like wrestle 24 seven, like adult bears don't really need to wrestle because they're the biggest thing they ever come up against. So they can just <laughs> kind of like kill people with a single touch essentially. But like, if it comes to a wrestling match, like I bet that bear has more wrestling experience than the gorilla does. Like, plus the fact it's it's fucking four times bigger. Like gorillas are big, but grizzly bears are fucking huge. Like that's it's not it's not even a discussion. Like the Actually, bear wins hands down. We could probably hands down. We could probably create a human proxy of this, and we just need Chad Wesley Smith to fight Doctor Mike Isertel. Isertel's the gorilla. Yeah, but Wesley Smith. And they both do beat. They do. Yeah, no. This was the argument with that. So the perfect you have that fight, but the one the guy who wrote the article like it was super scientific. You'd probably like it. Was like it would be the equivalent of like Chad Wesley Smith versus Isretel, but give him Wolverine fangs. <laughs> give him Wolverine fangs. They have claws. He's gonna fuck them up. Okay, that that would so be, like that, that, would, that, be that would be the bad. That would be a bad. great pay for pay per view. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm glad Greg has the same opinion. Like, I'm always looking for confirmation bias, but, like, that was my... Um, yeah, the other thing I was going to say is I love when some idiot decides to pick a fight with a woman who turns out to be, like, a UFC fighter or someone that really talented... Those are good fight. videos. I know it's, like, I don't like, like to see it, but, like, it's it makes me happy. <laughs> it, 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 it would be... People don't understand how fucking big grizzly bears are. It wouldn't be Chad Wesley Smith versus Mike Isertel, because Chad is... That is approximately fifty percent larger than Mike is. Like, <laughs> where, like, that would be, be the that would be like, you, you know, that that would be like, uh, Ch- Chad would be like the grizzly bear, and Mike might be like a black bear. Yeah. If you're if you're if you're actually talking like a grizzly bear versus gorilla, it would be like Chad Wesley Smith versus someone who weighs eighty pounds. <laughs> <laughs> like. like <laughs> 
Peter Dinklage. <laughs> Who's Tyrion? Tyrion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exa- ex- exactly. Yeah. Find find a, uh, someone who looks like Peter Dinklage, but is like an expert mm-hmm. in fighting. The mountain. Be, and, if Game of Thrones esque. That'd be the mountain vs. Tyrion. Yeah, with, like with that's those, yeah. That's that's the size difference you're talking about. Like grizzly bears are enormous. <laughs> I love I love that we got here. I don't even know how it happened. That was your fault. But yeah, that was great. It, it, it totally makes sense though with what we're where we're going. He said trap queen and I, I bears have traps. Um, let's talk about your podcast. Let's talk about podcasting in some form and like Instagram influencing because that's like a question. Your first episode of the Stronger by Science podcast. We corrected it. You had 15,000 downloads, not 10. And this doesn't happen without a strong base of support, loyal following, all that. But what have you done over the recent years to solidify the following without jumping on? Our favorite thing to jump on is the, the IG, Instagram influencing bandwagon. Like, you're not that. How the hell did you do it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened? I mean, I mean, I, I do I do have an Instagram. Like, yeah, but you haven't shown booty. Well, that's yeah, a, yeah, that's that's true. Um, that's how I that's a, my generalization. But so I don't know. This this may be kind of a cop out answer, but I think that um, so I think people focus way too much on how large their following is and not why people are following you in the first place. Um, and I think that I think that if your primary goal is to entertain people, um, so if the stuff you put out isn't going to be very like challenging, it doesn't take a, a much like actual focus for people to 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 get what you're saying. Maybe they see it and like they laugh a little bit and whatever. Like it's silly. It's nice bite sized content. Like that's probably gonna be pretty good for for getting you a lot of eyes and and getting a big audience. Um, but then like they, they're, they're worried more about like kind of being entertained by you. Like that's, that's why they follow you in the first place. Um, and like, I just, I just don't do that. (laughs) Um, I, I'm not a very entertaining person. And so like the people that follow me, uh, and like follow the website and whatnot, like, you know, if, if, if someone's like on my email list or like they follow the stuff I put out on social media, like they, they know that like, Oh, when Greg shares something, it's probably going to be like 4,000 words and super dense. And yet they still follow me. Like they, they follow me as an information source, not as an entertainment source. And so like, you know, if, if someone has, if someone has like half a million followers on Instagram and then they put out like a really like dense article or something like that. Like they could they could maybe expect like four percent of their audience to to read it, like if they were lucky, because those yeah. people are there for the booty pics or like the infographics or whatever. Softcore porn. Um, yeah, yeah, essentially softcore porn. I know, it's but horrible, like, but like, it's but like the. True the people that follow me don't follow me for entertainment. They follow me for information. And so like, if I put out a really dense article, like about half of the people that follow me are there, there's a good chance that they're going to read that. Like we have uh, a little over a hundred thousand people on our email list. And anytime we put out a new article, 
about 50,000 people read that's, it in the first really, week. That's really, I'm sure you've been told that, but that's pretty, that's, that's like world-class click rates, I would assume. Because isn't it like 4% is the norm? That's insane. Uh, oh yeah, I mean our... Yeah, our, uh, <laughs> our our email our email analytics are, are pretty crazy. Did, um, did you do it plan like and, and honest like did did was this kind of not calculated because that sounds like a bad word but were were you planning your audience this way in the sense that you kind of had your ethics and morals laid out that you're like I'm going to do it this way because I think it will work out because you couldn't have known that you were going to have this audience at the beginning you know what I mean? Uh, no, it 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 wasn't intentional. Um, so here, here's what I did. Here's what was intentional. Um, I, there were, there were a few people in the fitness industry, like putting out the type of content that I liked when I, when I got into the whole thing. Um, but like a lot of them were on like the training side of things. Like, like I think quote unquote evidence-based fitness came to like sport nutrition way before it came to training. Um, and so like there just weren't that many people putting out the type of content that I wanted to read. Um, and and, and I think it came to like hypertrophy training before it came to strength training as well. Um, and so like for me as a power lifter, there just weren't people putting out like power lifting type information, um, that was, that was what I personally wanted to read. So I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. If other people aren't going to do it, I guess I'm going to do it. Um, and so like my my whole plan going in is, was just like, you know, I get that I'm kind of weird, but I'm sure there's other people out there who are weird in a similar way to me. So like if, if I just put out the content that I would personally want to read, and if I conduct myself online in a way that I personally don't find weird and cringy, like hopefully there will be other people who come across the content and they're like, oh, this is good. That's, this is what I want to read. Or they'll come across me online and be like, oh, like this guy isn't weird and cringy like a lot of fitness people. So cool. Like I'll read his stuff. I'll follow him. So it was, it was basically just like. I don't know, just putting out the stuff that I want to read and finding people like me. Like well, that was that big, was pretty much how it went. The big thing I remember, I think the first time I was exposed to you was again, it kind of plays into that whole like you're gonna get the audience you want. And I was pretty serious about powerlifting. And I I can't remember where I got your squat thing from. <laughs> I like opened it and it was like a hundred pages. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, who the fuck is this? And anyways, like I'm sure a lot of people open that and they're like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for because it wasn't really there. Like there's people talking about squats, but you started talking about science and then all these meatheads are like, whoa, whoa, what's there's science involved with this? Yeah. So, so I, I think one people, one thing that people overlook is like, they, they assume that if someone's putting out really, really like dense scientific content that they're just trying to like impress other trainers or yeah. other people in the industry but like the actual potential clients or customers or just like day-to-day lifters like you know it's going to go over their heads like they're they're not into it and i think that people who think that way have have never met someone who's actually invested in a hobby yeah um so like the other thing other than lifting that i'm very into is cooking and like i i know like a lot of 
the science and chemistry that goes into like making like making food because like that's like that information is out there a lot of the more successful people like in the in the culinary space are like getting really into like pretty dense science stuff but they're not like not making content for other chefs they're making content for like home cooks who are really into cooking or if you follow like the whole analytics crowd and like basketball or baseball like they're not they're not putting out like dense information on like advanced stats for players for the benefit of like front office executives who may stumble across their blog like they're putting it out for fans who are actually into like the science and the data analytics and they get like you know huge audiences like hundreds of thousands of readers um so like if someone's really into a hobby, like they, they, not everyone, but a lot of people want to know about it on like a nitty gritty level, like maybe not a professional scientist level, but they certainly care about knowing stuff in depth. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I think, I think a lot of people kind of shot themselves in the foot because they're like, yeah, most people aren't going to be into this content. Like they just assumed that people who are into lifting are fundamentally different than people who are into literally any other hobby yeah. out there. And that there's just not an audience of people who care about in-depth information. And, you know, I found that, that there very much is. Uh, and, and also, like, since it's, it's, since it's so analytic, like, one of the things <laughs> I'll say, this was purely accidental. Um, but from, like, a business side of things, it did work out pretty well because Absolutely. the... The average, like the typical reader of my site is someone who is into strength training, who is either like in IT or engineering. Uh, (laughs) And people in IT and engineering have pretty good salaries. (laughs) It's so like... You did not even know that when you did that. Like, Do what? I said you did not expect that one, but that makes logical sense. Yeah, like that, that's not... Like I didn't plan on that on the front end, but yeah. So, so I found that there were a lot of people who cared about like analytical stuff, like learning about lifting very in depth. And, and a lot of the people who fall into that demographic also are probably on like the high end of the income scale of people who are into lifting. And so like both, neither of those things were planned, but they both worked out really well. And I think the deeper message there is you just got to be yourself. I know it sounds like we talk about authenticity, but like that's about as authentic as you can get. I just well, like it, that stuff. It goes back to the <laughs> little little dig we made at Instagram influencers, where I think a lot of that are people who are trying to fit a mold or be something. Whereas a lot of our, our friends, peers, a lot of people we look up to in the industry, they're very successful because they didn't plot a course to try to copy or, or model anyone else. They just were really true and authentic to what they were interested in. I was going to ask, you know, for a few examples of people that you thought were good examples of ones who were putting out the kind of information that you said there wasn't a lot of. And, you know, you can think of someone like Brett Contreras, who, you know, just was really passionate about getting his ideas out. If anyone's ever listened to Brett, you know, he's kind of like a little kid and gets really excited about talking about it. And Brett's got a massive following. That was not planned. And he did not follow the Instagram influencer model. It just so happens that his content is so interesting and it's of a subject matter that a lot of people happen to want to know more about and therefore he's really popular. So are there any other good examples of people who you feel like have been doing this well for a while? Oh man. So I, I, I kind of dislike making lists like this because I know that a lot of people I like, I will, I will not include. Yes. Um, That's okay. You're also so, 
so so let let me preface this by saying this is this is nowhere close to an exhaustive list. Um, but let's see. So all of the guys I work with, I personally think are great. Uh, Eric Trexler, Eric Helms, Mike Zordos. Um, well, I guess Zordos doesn't really put out any information except for mass. But uh, <laughs> uh, Eric Helms and Eric Trexler for sure. Um, I think Brad Dieter is great. Yeah. Uh, I think Dean Somerset is great. Um, I I agree that Brett is great. Uh, Chris Beardsley doesn't get as much attention as I think he deserves. Like I, I think he Agreed. puts out really good stuff. Um, some someone who is way too slept on is Danny Lennon. Um, right. We I, I forget I forget if we were talking about this on the actual podcast or before we started, but he he's someone who I feel like a lot of people have kind of pigeonholed as a podcaster. Like they know that yes. he has a good podcast and asks good questions, but like the dude himself is like, Danny's really bright. Like he, he knows a lot about everything, which is required to ask good questions yeah. about everything. I think, um, I think it's a perfect example of what I was talking about. So off air, we were talking about not want like me personally, not wanting to quote, get pigeonholed as a podcaster. Um, you know, like I have an extensive training experience with clientele in front of me. Something north of 13,000 training hours I'm writing for TV Nation now. We've got this, and we'll talk about it in a second, this big event that we've organized coming up here at Edmonton. It, your example's perfect. Danny's brilliant. And if you actually listen to him on Sigma Nutrition Radio, if you guys want to go check his stuff out, I think it's the preeminent nutrition, scientific-based nutrition podcast in our industry. I, I absolutely would say that. And Danny himself, you can forget that this guy actually is really brilliant and does his own great work. Because if you're following that podcast casually, you see the podcaster first, if that makes sense. So, yeah, no, perfect example. Um, yeah, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of people. Like, the, those those are just the first that come to mind. But, um, yeah. I mean, that, that's a list that's probably two or three hundred people long. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't think his buddy's going to be offended when we forget it. There's a couple of names I was going to. I mean, throw. I mean, I could, I could, I could pull up the list of people who uh, Trex and I are planning on inviting onto the podcast. Like it's, uh, I, I forget exactly how many people long it is, but with the assumption <laughs> that that we're going to have an interview every two weeks, we have uh, 20 years worth of people <laughs> on the list that we want to get to. Um, Bring the body kind of gives yeah. an idea of how long it is. Yeah, there's two more names I was going to throw out there I think just need to be said. Dr. Mike Isertel is one of them and Dr. Brad Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld especially when it comes to hypertrophy research and just creating good information for a long time. But uh, let's actually move on to what I mentioned about our event that's coming up here in September. So we're doing a run on guests on the podcast uh, who are speaking at our Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium that's here in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, and that's um, September 14th and 15th this year. So we're going to do a run on these guests for next few weeks. We just had Carolyn McDonald, so she's at examine.com, so she's our first of that list. And uh, so you're coming here to speak, and uh, as I was telling you in person, the, what we try to create, you're actually the, the person that we wanted as the linchpin to all this, because you checked a lot of boxes that we were trying to have. Uh, your background in powerlifting, uh, recognized and respected speaker. It's mostly Canadian speakers, but we bring up two Americans, you and Lee Peel. Lucky you. Yeah. Oh, nice. So <laughs> we, <clears throat> when we founded this idea, 
we bandied up names. There's a, you know, there's, we got most of the people we wanted. There's a couple of people who just weren't available or had to bow out. But uh, you really were the first person where, like, I think Greg would be the person who sets the tone for this event that appeals to a pretty broad audience. So, um, let's see. Where, where... What, 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 what tone is this? I, I don't, I don't feel like I, I set a particularly good tone for a, for a serious event. Well, hey, okay, let's, so... let's start there. Like, I wouldn't even say a tone. I think that, like... Based on what we talked about with your following and everything, I don't even, we already know that you're not coming out like The Rock and setting out, like, coming out the fireworks. You'll be super humble. But I think that it goes with your following is that the people who look at your content really do like it. So, which is huge. Let's actually, let's actually. It's not fake. Let's, let's go to that and then I'll get back to the original question. Uh, you're down to earth. You can sit down and have a beer with you as I have. Uh, you just and have compliment it. them the whole time? Fuck yeah. Well, what, what we're going to do, like. <laughs> Insulted the whole time, but yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, wait wait till he gets here for that. The event is not just about great information. A lot of events have great information, great speakers. We definitely set out to do that. This event is also about bringing a lot of people together, bringing speakers to our Edmonton community, which is huge, and bringing guests from all over the industry, all over North America. Alberto Alvarez is going to come from Spain, so you know, no one has an excuse. And I want people to actually meet each other and network. And, you know, I've had great experience at the Kansas City Fitness Summit. This year was great. A lot of the good stuff in my career has happened because I attended that three years ago. And the better events that I've attended, people meet each other, they hang out, they enjoy the social and networking side of stuff. So you'll fit that. You're just too nice. Basically, Greg's Greg's humble enough. He won't, he won't pull the rock star card and everyone. Just, like, leave on a limo afterwards. And well, we, don't, see we, we don't. We, I'm not gonna say, I'm going not gonna to say a name, but we had someone on our original list that had a bit of that rock star sort of attitude and then ultimately rock their way out of our yes, list, yeah. which, which I'm fine with. No I, I mean, I mean, I, I, honestly, dog, like that's a pretty big deal. Like there's, uh, they, uh I, I'm not going to name names. There have been several people at events I've spoken at oh, though man. that have just pissed me off to no end. Yep. <laughs> cause it's like, cause it's like, dude, I, I get that. Like, you know, the the speakers are probably going to be the closest friends with, like, the other speakers because yeah. a lot of us know each other and, yeah. and whatnot. But, like, dude, we're, we're not the ones paying several hundred bucks to come to an event. Like, get your head out of your ass and, like, actually spend time with the attendees and the don't just, like seclude yourself with the other speakers the whole time like that that happens at so many events and it pisses me off so much and there's no value and you know what as like as someone who's going to host an event i don't give a fuck about like i do give a fuck about the speakers but i give a fuck about the people paying in the event itself and what kind of environment it's going to be because if it's going to be very segregated and people aren't going to get that experience then it's not the experience i want we can pay for anyone to come and speak and leave like that's 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 the model that's out there right now there's also another trend too and there was an event that uh I was aware of that event is no longer going through. I won't say what one, but there's a trend towards charging a VIP rate, which is usually yeah. double the attending rate to be able to have dinner with lunch with dinner with the speakers. And I'm not a big fan of that uh, either. And I think it's a way to cash in for sure for the present the organizers. And I get the idea that you need to make these, these events viable to have them. But that's why I like events like Tim Arndt's uh, Inland Empire uh, Fitness Conference in Spokane in the spring because Tim does a wonderful job of creating a VIP experience for everyone. And his speakers, they get in and interact with everyone. So there's no exclusive bullshit there. Well, the speakers just like being around their audience, which is like when you leave and you have that, we'll call it the rockstar mentality, you, you, 
it, it does, you don't really care much about your audience enough to interact with them. Because I think that's the big thing. Is that it's like, we have fanboys, whatever, but like everyone just wants to meet Greg and say, hey, Greg, you know, and just like shake your hand. And like, that's a big thing that does get lost in some of these things. And it does piss me off. So basically, we're telling you all the stuff to do. We, we just assumed you were going to do it, so it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I, oh, I mean, we'll we'll see. Like, you could. I, I am now. I am now Master Greg. That and, means that I'm big time, and I just, <laughs> I just don't have the time or the interest for for the plebeians anymore. Well, and like your trap queens are coming out too. You're, you're gonna see a completely different side of me, and uh, <laughs> just be prepared. I would love to see you try to be totally honest. <laughs> like, what does that look like? You know what's funny? Watch, he'll break Trexler, and Trexler will be, like, wearing black sunglasses and a suit and just hand up their note, you you can't come talk to Greg. Now, thank God, like, Trexler's well-built, but he's not a particularly large human, so I don't know how well he would do to stop him. And then you have to yell at him, like, he screws something up, and you fucking, like, lose it in the middle. Like, you're walking up the stage, everyone's watching. And he like trips and you just like lose it on him and he just like kind of ducks his head a bit. He's like, sorry, master. We haven't seen I your... Mean, I mean, the th thing is though, he, ha he has a low center of gravity and he's a wrestler. Yeah. So don't don't let the size fool you. Like he, he will go fucking honey badger mode on you. <laughs> yeah, he's not a grizzly well, bear. I ha we haven't seen Greg's rider yet, his demands for when he appears. So watch out. I'm gonna you have, if you, I'm, if, you, I'm, if, you, if, you if someone fucking did that, I would put it out there. I'm gonna have to... I'm gonna have to pick the green M&Ms out of the fucking bowl or some bullshit like that. So let's go to the original question. So obviously you're a busy fucking dude, but yet you still make time for a few of these appearances each year. So why is that important to you? And what are some of the criteria that you need to check to even accept an appearance like this? I don't know, man. Like, I just think it's fun. Um, and the, the, the check boxes are that it seems like a fun event. Um, and the check boxes for coming back are, did I have fun the last time I came to this event? That's, that's a, that's, that is good to know, though. That's, that's pretty much it. Like, the, the only events that I do, like, year after year consistently are the Fitness Summit in Kansas City, because that's very fun, and uh, European Powerlifting Conference, because that's very fun. Um, the... The other events that I've done previously, either so I mean a, a pretty big thing is a lot of events don't make it to year two True, or three, yeah. like they just weren't profitable enough and they kind of fold up. Uh, so like that's happened a few times. Um, I can only think of like maybe one like yearly event that I've spoken at before that I didn't get invited back to the next year. Um, so maybe maybe that was on me. Yeah, you <laughs> um, rock started, and then a. Uh, and, and then, like, a, a, a couple things, um, like, you know, it, it just wasn't a good time. Like, the, it, and it was a lot like what we were describing. Like, the, the speakers were, like, segregated from everyone else. And, like, at, at one event, and I'm, I'm not going to name names, but, like, the speakers were, like, intentionally sequestered from everyone else. <laughs> and I was, I was like, dude, like, I want to go spend time with the attendees. Like, I'm sure that they have questions about the stuff i talked about and the organizers were like no 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 we're like we're, we're all going to dinner like you have to come with the other speakers i was like this is bullshit um <laughs> really but yeah awesome. so not awesome yeah it's, um but yeah so i mean basically like speaking at events isn't a 
like significant portion of my business or anything like that. So like I, I do it if it's fun and I come back if it's fun. Like that's, that's literally my only criterion. Well, a big thing, like, cause we're pretty open about it is like, and again, we had problems with some of the people that want, well, we had on our list, but like speakers aren't making an enormous amount of money for these things. A lot of it is like honorariums or like just a small fee to have them come out partially because the event is not about making a lot of, like I know they're about making money, but they're about creating community. And I think that most people don't realize that. Like if you get 10 speakers out to a summit type of thing, you can best be sure they're not making three grand each. So it's not going to be anyone's part of their business because that's just not, it's it's like viable, but it's not a whole business. It's a, it's a long game. So yeah. I'll, I'll, for anyone listening who's considering this. I'll Greg's getting paid nothing. He's getting I'll paid like literally beer. peanuts. We're going to give him peanuts. We're giving him beer, beer. <laughs> uh, which is what hopefully he'll have fun and be drunk and then want to come back. But I'll, I'll go through the list of speakers we've got because some of the speakers are not necessarily first timers or, or almost, but people we want to give opportunities to that we felt were really great, some local people. So that includes our friends, Hannah Gray, who's one of our partners in this. And uh, another guy, EJ Paris, who's a really widely respected Olympian. Local, yeah, he's Olympian. Yeah. Widely respected local trainer. We're bringing in Mark Morris, uh, who's a PhD in Saskatchewan, who's got a powerlifting background. And then we've got some people who are you know, more established on the speaking circuit or upcoming, someone like Megan Calloway from Vancouver. Uh, Lee Peel, they're very close friends. So Lee, Lee is the other American that we're bringing up. And Lee is an industry legend. Brian Cron, another industry legend. He's uh, coming up from Calgary. We've got Lee Boyce coming in from Toronto. And then, of course, we have, uh, I mentioned Carolyn McDonald. So she, she spoke at the Kansas City Fitness Summit. That was her first uh, engagement. And she's just exploding. Like People are asking for her on podcasts. We've had her on. And so uh, I think her career arc is going to go nuts. And then Dean Somerset, one of our partners in it, Dean is presenting. So that should be a really good lineup. We're pretty excited about it. So <laughs> here's something kind of interesting. There's no guarantees we can pull this off. Um, so don't quote me on this, but Christian Thibodeau, again, who's Canadian, saw our lineup, messaged me and said, hey, this looks amazing. If I'm like free that weekend, could I participate? <laughs> and Christian's a pretty goddamn big deal in our world. And so, he's like, no. Oh he's like, no. And so Christian and I have been chatting about it. Uh, if there's a way we can squeeze him in, uh, we'll try for sure. We're definitely going to talk to him about having him here because we're intending on doing it year two, assuming it goes well. We think it will. So, uh, but there's no promises about Christian, but that would be really cool as well if we could add him to the lineup because Christian's pretty. We'd have to get rid of. We'll get rid of Greg to replace. <laughs> I mean that's yeah. that's perfectly makes makes sense. It's, it's the Canadian thing. Sorry, about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I'm just I'm just pleased by the fact that you have two American speakers and they're both from North Carolina. That uh, that 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 fills me with state pride. Which that wasn't planned. Either. Was not intentional, not whatsoever. Sweet. So, no. Uh, and I, I mean I mean North Carolina is is the best state fitness industry wise in the u.s so I'm, I'm glad that we're finally getting recognition you guys you guys are the best collegiate basketball state for sure right you got to, all yeah, the, the, those, the, 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 those two things are correlated <laughs> cool so let's pester you about being so busy and all have you read anything noteworthy and share worthy lately um let's see I, I read stuff all the time, uh, so Research. I, I can just I can just tell you what the three math studies I'm doing this month are. They're all pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, scientist. 
so uh, one of them is is looking at the ergogenic response to caffeine in men and women. Um, so most of the research on caffeine um, in, in the context of exercise has been conducted in men. Um, and only one previous study has actually like directly tested both men and women. And it, it gave them like different testing protocols for whatever reason, which is kind of weird. Um, so this is the first study, uh, directly comparing men and women in the same study to the same, with the same testing protocol, uh, to see if, if caffeine is, is similar, similarly ergogenic in men and women. Uh, and it was. Let's see. So next study. Okay, so the next study is pretty interesting, and I'm actually working on a Stronger by Science article about this topic as well. Um, but it's from uh, Barbalo et al., uh, looking at whether adding single-joint training um, to a program already consisting of, of like adequate levels of multi-joint training, whether that increases uh, strength and hypertrophy. That's a good idea. And yeah, so the the interesting thing is you hear that and you're like, well, no shit, of course it's going to help. Like, it, at the very least, it's going to help you build more muscle. Uh, but this is like, it's like the sixth study, I believe, um, looking at this, like, experimental question. And uh, overall, like, to this point, it seems, um, so most of the individual results in the studies have been null findings. So mm-hmm. doesn't seem to improve strength gains, doesn't seem to cause additional hypertrophy. Um, so I, I'm working, so I, I'm reviewing this study for mass and I'm also working on an article for stronger by science, kind of like looking at all of those results, uh, together to see if like, well, okay, if we look at the big picture, does it seem like anything's going on? Because the thing with individual studies is like they may be underpowered and have null results, but if you look at the entire body of literature, like everything still clearly leans in one direction or the other. Um, so that's the second one. And then the last one is uh, it's, it's looking at uh, kinetics and kinematics in the squat and the timing of activation of different muscles with loads ranging from 30% of your max to a hundred percent of your max. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting, honestly. So one of the cool things is that apparently your quads have like different timings of peak activation in the squat. So, um, the first one that really fires hard coming out of the bottom of the squat is your rectus femoris, which isn't what I would have expected. Um, followed by your vastus medialis and then your vastus lateralis has peak activation, uh, like closer to lockout. I thought that little tidbit was interesting because oftentimes if people have knee tracking issues and they're prescribed like exercise to, to get their vastus medialis up to snuff, It'll be kind of like terminal range knee extension stuff, which uh, very, very well, I, I, I don't know. I haven't looked into that research. That may be um, good for kind of like single leg type work. But in terms of the context of the squat, the vastus lateralis is the one that, that reaches uh, peak activation, the latest in the lift, which, which I think is pretty neat. Um, a cool thing about this study, I'm not going to spoil all of the results, but a cool thing about this study is most research looking at um, 
kinetics, kinematics, muscle activation, and the squat. It's kind of like has people lift different loads the way they, I guess, feel like they should um, and, and looks to see how things change as loads increase. Uh, this is the first, I believe, that has actually like instructed people like lift every rep as fast as possible. So I think that makes it a lot more applicable in a strength training context because that is something that that you tend to cue people like that. That's that's a West Side special that people have picked up on. And, you know, we, we know that that's a pretty good thing, like e even with submaximal weights, lifting them as explosively as you can. And so I, I think that the results of this study are probably more applicable to day to day training than than previous research that's looked at a similar question. Okay, that's going to be a lot for me. I'm especially interested in the second one and the third one when they when you get the articles out. I was going to say, you know something cool? They review it in mass. And that's why you, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to read it. So that leads into... I, I, I mean, I, 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 did, I did just give away like... Everything. A, 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 de a decent amount. I mean, probably like 40% of <laughs> of the findings. Like it, it's, it's, not like, it's not like I'm paywalling all of this. So, you you are a rock star. Just like literally, give only give forty percent. So we have to pay. Like, damn you. Well, no, I think it's pretty much worth it. So I, I, no, I, no. I mean, to 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 be honest, the the single joint, multi joint stuff. Like the, the article on Stronger by Science will will be free and will probably be. Oh, you don't think more in depth? If anyone has a problem with article. how much you're charging, like it's 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 really not that much yeah. for again the amount of work that is put into it. You're you're doing all right. I'm not. Uh, you're good. If if you don't buy it and you bitch about prices, like you've got a fucking problem because it's like literally nothing. Like it really, in the big scheme of things, it costs absolutely nothing. Because to actually go read that amount of research and ha go to school, like good luck with that. Um, that's my plug for you. So just don't be cheap. Um, cheap for good information, and it it's good. Um, where before we leave, because I know you got to go to a podcast. Where can everyone find you and find your work and find mass and and everything you kind of have to offer? Uh, so. All of, all of my free content is on strongerbyscience.com. Um, if you are interested in, in checking out mass and potentially subscribing to it, it's strongerbyscience.com slash mass. If you want to check out a free issue before you subscribe, it's strongerbyscience slash mass hyphen best hyphen of, I believe. Or you can just Google best of mass and, and should pop up. Um, on social media, probably most active on Facebook, um, also on Instagram. So if you are interested in pictures of food and my dog and occasionally me lifting weights, that's just at Greg Knuckles. If you're more interested in like actual fitness information, uh, we now have an actual Stronger by Science Instagram account that is at official Stronger by Science, I believe. All, all is one word. Uh, and that's about it. Um, Greg, thank you. Like this was, this was actually one of the most fun episodes we've ever done. Uh, there's a lot of ridiculously awesome shit in here. Thanks. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you in September and for everybody listening. Um, I'm hoping by now you guys are following or know who Greg is. If you don't, I mean, come on, like, did you listen to the last fucking hour? Seriously, like go and like check this dude out and his work. And if you are interested in coming to our event, then you can find 
uh, just fuck Google Evolve yeah. Canadian Strength Symposium. You'll find it on Dean's face uh, social media. You'll find it on mine. We're gonna continue posting and, about it. So and hammer him with questions. Like D- yeah. DM him ten questions a day. Then the stupid, oh God. <laughs> the more stupid and pedantic <laughs> question. No, uh, go check out his podcast because it's really great. So hopefully you'll uh, you'll put, turn this one off when now as opposed to halfway through, and then go and download and check out, uh, subscribe to Stronger by Science podcast. Thanks. Well, uh, we really appreciate you making the time for us. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. See ya. Shut up and sit down.